back in Galatians, and we're in the letters of, uh, to the church from, from Paul and his associates, because every once in a while, we saw last week, he's like, oh, this is from Paul and Timothy, right? There's a couple people that are, uh, sometimes are co-authoring some of these letters. So uh, one of the things that I like to just remind us, I'll never get tired, uh, you know that I'll repeat. I'm like, Mr. Repeater, I will repeat, 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 repeat. It's rhetoric. It's used intentionally so that it seeps into you. Uh, and every once in a while, Bob and Luke make fun of me for it, but they don't forget. They remember the things that I repeat, and so I don't apologize for it. But one of the things uh, that's beautiful about the church is that there is an authority who's able to raise the dead back to life, and it's on his authority that he has called you, essentially a summons. He's summoned you to gather in his name, but don't ever forget he did it in love. That's what he's, his whole purpose is, is to uh, call you to maturity because there's something about our experience where our journey of faith, we need to grow in our journey of faith. We don't just somehow, oh, I'm a sinner, I, okay, I need Jesus, and then all of a sudden, pop, pop, everything's instantaneously perfect. No, he has us mature in our faith. And so another way of uh, thinking about some of that is this idea of what the church is. It's a gathering of those who are summoned, uh, that we are being separated from corruption. If you're around me long enough, you'll know that that's how I talk about sin, corruption. Because when you talk to the rest of the world about sin these days, you know what happens? I don't know what your experience is, but this is my experience. Even in the church sometimes, like, they don't, they don't, like, sin, that it doesn't hit them, it doesn't penetrate them, they don't, they're like, they might know what the word is, but they're just like, ah, oh, religious folks, well, this is awful, tune out, tune out. But you start talking about corruption, ooh, ears perk up. Oh, yeah, I see corruption. We see corruption in all of our institutions. And then, as soon as they acknowledge that they see corruption in the institutions, I got them, I gotcha, because institutions are made up of us, us, we are the reason why institutions are corrupt because of our corruption that we experience. Now, and they, then you get into some religious folks and they're like, well, we don't want to hear about the bad news all the time. We want to hear some good news. Okay, all right, I'll repackage it for you. You don't want to hear it in the negative? I'll give it to you in the positive. Embrace maturity in Christ. Come, assemble in his name and hear a message that is intended to bring you life, because that's what Jesus wants you to experience. He wants you to experience life. And as we've been going, like we can go through, I've preached a lot of books, but Paul's books, Romans, embrace God's righteousness. Uh, the negative, you want the negative? I'll give you the negative. Separate from your own righteousness, right? First Corinthians, embrace unity. Separate from division. We're going to be talking about a word, anathema, today. How many people have heard of anathema? I know I got my pastor folk. They, they definitely heard of anathema. Is that it? Is that all the amount? Of, I, want, I need a legitimate hand raise. How many people have heard of anathema? Oh, you guys are. All right, all right. Another, we're going to talk about anathema. It, it, separate from division. Uh, embrace submission with wisdom. That was 2 Corinthians. Instead of just embracing submission to anything or embracing, uh, you know, just being independent. No, no, no. Neither of those two Poles are good. You have to embrace submission with wisdom. And finally, here we are in Galatians, embrace freedom, or if you want, separate from legalism. 
Nobody likes a legalist. I mean, maybe I shouldn't presume. Does anybody else out there like a legalist? Do you like somebody holding the letter of the law over your head and making you feel horrible and condemning you? I'd be happy to like start a cult if you want. We have time available like all throughout the week that we could start a different group for legalists. Be weird. I'd be acting, but I can act. Galatians 1, 6 through 10 says this, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are following a different gospel. Not that there really is another gospel, but there are some who are disturbing you and wanting to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be condemned to hell, anathema. That's what that word means, condemned to hell, anathema. Why is it? It's not going, it's going on my page. Why? Oh, it's all frozen. <laughs> you guys are at my, at my, <laughs> okay. Uh, let's see, condemned to hell. As we have said before, and now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, let him be anathema, condemned to hell. Am I now trying to gain the approval of people or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a slave of Christ. Otherwise, slave is, I hate that, the, the translation's not great, bondservant. Paul has thrown his lot in with Christ, and he said, you, to the end, I'm with you to the end. Uh, and so in that sense, uh, it's more bondservant is a better uh, definition, but they tell me that you don't know the word bondservant, so that's why they chose slave. All right. Well, here we are. Uh, let's think of a few things. One up. Oh, there we go. Now, now, now what's happening? Okay. Should I, uh, what should I do? Okay. So last week, remember what we talked about? We talked about Paul, right? And we talked about how he is an apostle of Christ. And look, I had to set that stage for you. We, I belabored it, I realized, going through those first five verses. And then I kind of introduced each book that he wrote. And each book talked about how he was an apostle of Christ, meaning that he was sent by Christ to be able to preach this gospel. And there was some interesting language that was used. Uh, he says this, he says, by the will and command of God. Remember when he was operating by the will and command of himself, what did he do? Oh, he perse persecuted the church but not just that, what does Jesus say when he when he's meets Saul on the road to Damascus? Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So, like, it's not just the church that he was persecuting, the followers of the way. It was Jesus himself. Remember, Jesus is the head of the body of Christ, right? So, uh, both and, Christ and his church, uh, that was when he was operating according to his own will. But by the will and command of God... Oh, he's being sent out to preach a, a message. Uh, and watch this beautiful language. To further the promise of life in Christ. Oh, that's why he is teaching or, or writing these books. Uh, to further the faith of God's chosen. Oh, I like that. And to further the, world, the, the knowledge of truth. And so Jesus himself 
has sent Paul out. He's commissioned him. He said, no longer do I want to have you operating according to your will and power. I want you to be operating according to my will and power and go out and build up my church. So guess what you can't do? Ergo, you cannot take any of Paul's books and go, "Uh, I don't think we need them. I don't think we need these books. We don't, we don't, they talk about some stuff that doesn't really work with our society these days. We're just going to take Paul's books and we're going to put them over here and we're just going to go back to the Gospels because Jesus loves and we're going to just focus on Jesus' loves. No, we are going to focus on Jesus' love. That's why he called us together because of his love for us. But it's not this like societal, you know, mutilated love, right? Like it's like it's a full love. It's like a, how a parent would love a child, right? Well, at least how parents love their children back in the 50s. I don't know if parents love their children like they need to love their children these days. Like sometimes you got to get out that I mean my dad, he had a fraternity paddle. <sighs> Man. Come to Jesus, son. I think that was written on that uh Come to Jesus. All right, dad. Thanks a lot. And then you know, the, the all-time priceless comment associated with this, yeah, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. You want to you trade positions? Be happy to see how that works out. All right. Well, today, here's what I want you to be thinking about. It's very simple because in these verses, he's talking about the gospel. So I think the good question, because, and then he goes, follows that up to say, Uh, even if I preached a different gospel, and then he follows that up with, not that there really is such a thing, right? There's only one thing that brings good news, right? Anything else, anything else. Now, you can say that something else brings good news. Like, I could say, like, hey, the the Eagles beat the Bills. That was awesome. And that's the gospel of Brian. The Eagles are dominating, right? But, like, then they played the 49ers, and, like... We didn't. We won one game after that. That was a lot. Like it didn't last, right? So there's God. There's other people who can write gospels. In fact, if you if you are kind of aware of of a kind of Gnostic tradition, there were other authors who were like, oh man, the the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're all called gospels. If we call our books gospels, people will re- buy more of our books. We're going to call it. In fact. I'm going to write this book, and I'm going to call it The Gospel of Judas and The Gospel of Thomas, and they're going to sell lots of copies. But they were not gospels according to what brings life. No, they were gospels that were selling a counterfeit, or what Paul talks about, distorted the gospel. So you can have other things that are called gospel, but you really have to, this is why I'm always telling you, take the pulse of what brings life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Those are good things to kind of examine and go, is it increasing in me those things? It's a tell. It's a bit of a tell that perhaps we've stumbled onto the way, the truth, and the life. All right? So when we think about this, uh, we're thinking now here. uh, Now where am I here? This doesn't look great at all. Does this look great? This looks like this looks like last week. Is that last week? Is that last week? That's last week, huh? Just need to repeat it. Yeah, 
Yes! No, we got the wrong week. I think we got the wrong week. What? What's happening here? Yeah, do that. Okay. So when we think of the gospel, we're, we want to know, well, what is, what is the, the great question then is if there can be a distorted gospel, well, maybe the good question would be is, what is the gospel? So that's what we want to look at today. What is the gospel? And there's a couple different ways to think about what is the gospel. Paul is sitting here saying, I'm preaching the gospel. I preached the gospel to you, the churches in Galatia. Well, what exactly, what exact gospel did he preach? Well, we get a little bit of a contextual clue because every Bible that's been made has the first Pauline book in all of those is Romans. Romans, as we looked at a couple years ago, was this defense of God's righteousness. It was the clearest presentation of what Paul preached when he would go. And it's why it's first. It's not first because it happened chronologically first. No, no, no. Romans came after a couple of other books that he wrote. It's first because they say, if you want to understand the rest of Paul's ministry and what he taught in these other books, you have to know what he said in Romans because this is the clearest presentation of his gospel. So maybe the gospel is Romans. If you want to get to know the gospel, go to Romans. Well, then you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They've got to be included in the gospel. Those are talking about Jesus. Ah, and then actually as you start to think about that a little bit, you read through those Gospels and you go, oh, wait a minute, each one of these writers is referring back to other people in Scripture in the Old Testament. In fact, they're referring back to oftentimes one big guy in particular. Who, who's, do you know who the most named person in Scripture is? Abraham. So whether you, do, whether you think of uh, in Luke, uh, when Zacharias is talking, he's alluding back to this promise that was made, made to Abraham. You, you hear all these different writers are going back, Paul included, going back and going, in order to really know who Jesus is and the fulfillment of who he is, you got to know this guy named Abraham and the promise that was made to him. So now all of a sudden, wait a minute, the gospel includes, well, with the story of Abraham well, that goes from Genesis all the way to Revelation, in fact, because what we find out is that as they're talking about this promise, that there are aspects of the promise that are not yet fulfilled. And so now we, we begin to look at this and go, wait a minute, there, God, uh, Bob earlier prayed, and, and we wanted to worship and praise the God who was and is and is to come. And so here we have this idea of the gospel being what was, what is, and what is to come. So when you talk about what is the gospel, in some senses you have to kind of think about this idea of going, well, it's not just Romans. I have to, I have to read more of the Bible to understand Romans. It's not just the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I, I have to know more in order to understand what those gospels are. In fact, I have to know about this, this little thing called a hibiscus. Well, okay, you don't really have to know about the hibiscus, but it's my illustration for what the gospel is. Because the gospel is wrapped up like the bud of a hibiscus. And when you think about a hibiscus, right, and how that flower opens up, that's the promises of God. Throughout Scripture, they open up and you begin to see the gospel, 
the way that leads to life come through. The God who was, the God who is, and the God who is yet to come. That's what you see unfold. And so whether it's the, the, a rose bud, rose bud, some people might get that, rose bud. Okay, sorry, I'm often, I'm in the cinema now. Uh, it, whether it's the rosebud like my professor used as the illustration, but he was in, like, he was from Portland, right? I live in Hawaii. We've got hibiscus-sai, hibiscus here. So we're going to use that illustration as the thing that talks about the gospel, the promises of God revealed to man. Now, that includes some bad news, right? Like, the, the good news only comes because there's some bad news, and we see in Genesis how we as mankind chose a will apart from God and thereby introduced corruption that went crazy widespread. And God said, corruption is not going to have the final word, which is a beautiful prayer that Taylor had over here with Chris, just going, God, like, please, let's not let that be the final word. Let, let, let's, let's come to you who you are having a final word in every one of our lives, where, where we are experiencing a degree of corruption, but God's coming into each one of us and saying, no, it's not going to have the final word. No. And, and that doesn't just mean that when you take your last breath and your body starts to physically decay, like it is for some of us already, it's already like, I, I'm waking up with pains that I did not know could be possible from just sitting Though my wife would say, well, maybe you should exercise. <laughs> I did not realize that I could be pained like that. So our bodies are, it's not just this hope of a resurrection, but that there's this hope that the corruption that we experience relationally can be overcome. And, and that idea of forgiveness that they're going to be going through is, is part of the answer of God coming back and saying, I'm going to have the final word, right? Not your corruption, and I'm going to redeem, recreate, resurrect, because that's who I am. So in some senses, if you want to know, it can be, you kind of look at this. You see creation, you see the fall, and you see recreation. That's the gospel in a nutshell. And that story is implanted, it's imprinted on our souls. So you could be a, a, somebody who's not even, who's not even uh, ever encountered the Christian faith, and if you wrote a story, if you were like, I'm going to write a story, oftentimes what happens is authors will write stories that, that demonstrate that arc, creation, fall, and recreation. So many of the narratives of the stories that, that resonate with humanity have those, that, that little arc in it. And so the gospel is that arc. It's, it's implanted in, in the very essence of who we are. So... We have that. Uh, the next thing that we have here is this idea of, well, you could ask the question, what, aren't, what isn't the Gospels? What isn't the Gospels? Sometimes in, in, in life, you're trying to examine something, study something, and you go, oh, I want to take it from the positive side, and oh, what is this, and define it that way. But then sometimes you have to go to the negative side. Well, what isn't it? Well, it's not just part of the story. That's what we were talking about with, with Paul's writings. You can't somehow just take Paul's writings out and go, that's not part of the story. 
No, I don't want to hear about who, what my corruption actually is. So because you're kind of identifying some of those corruptions in there and putting names on them, ah, that makes me uncomfortable. I'm going to take that and I'm going to put that aside. No, that's not the gospel. The gospel is being able to understand who you are, how corruption has impacted your life, and how it is not leading you to life. It can't be good news. It cannot be good news unless you are turning away from the things that are bringing corruption into your life. So uh, it's not just part of the story. You can't just be like, oh, I like the part about the creator. Well, that's pretty, I like that. And then he recreates, that's nice too. But the fall, that's not great. That doesn't make me look very good. I don't want to have to know about that. No, we have to have an honest reflection. And in our society today, what we have to do is we really have to wrestle with God about some of that stuff, right? Because there are competing claims, but we are the people of God. And so we were coming back to this book and we were saying, well, this book has been trustworthy. It's an ancient path that leads to life. Let's wrestle through with what our culture is saying leads to life and what you are saying that leads to life. And in those moments where there's some tension, well, we can have compassion on one another. We, we, can, we can actually kind of have grace with one another that we're on a journey and that we actually need to have some conversations about this. Uh, it's not just part of the story. It's the full thing. Second thing uh, is this. It's not just, uh, it's not a human effort. I mean, Paul says right here in these, these passages, for by grace. That's what we were talking about in the testimonies today. Thank heavens for grace. Like, if it weren't for grace, where would any of us be? It's the most beautiful reflection. It's one of the reasons why we have our testimony time, is it really helps each one of us be able to, and it's why AA is successful, it's why CR is successful, because they get together and they go, hi everyone, I'm Brian, I'm corrupt. Right, And we all get to recognize, oh, we're all corrupt people saved by grace. And so there's no, there's no like, oh, did you hear what he did? Or she, like, no, there's all this like, man, we are all corrupt. And, and we need God's grace in order to come in and overcome and give us life. It's not by human effort, right? That, that would be distorting the gospel, and that's what some of these writers were do. Some outside of the Bible writers do is they create a philosophy or a theology that says, "Here's how you can get to God." Our culture does it all the time. It's why we were talking in Epiphany this idea of going, "Oh, are you going to be a wise person or a wise guy?" And remember what a wise guy is. Wise guy is part of the mob, and and the mob goes out and kills people, right? Or are you going to be a wise man or a wise woman and you're going to go and worship the king of Israel? And you're going to worship him for who he says he is, not who you have made him to be. That's being a wise guy. And that's what our culture does. We kill Christ every day and recreate him in our own image. And we become wise guys instead of wise men and wise women. So, we have to come back to this idea of going, wait a minute, it's, it's, it's not by my effort. That would be killing Christ. It's by grace that we have been saved. And yet, there's this interesting little tension in Scripture 
Next one. But our cooperation is part of the story. Like somehow in his great goodness and wisdom, it, that, does not that does not compromise his grace, does not compromise his sovereignty in our salvation, somehow he says, you know what? I'm going to invite my people to cooperate with me to experience life. And so there is this idea of, well, what is the gospel? It's not just this, okay, line them all up. We're going to have a communal baptism, which has been done in African tribes, where people have gone in and just taken entire communities and said, get them under the water. I'll say the words. Look, we got a new Christian community. This is great. This is wonderful. Well, did they, did they receive the invitation? They don't need to receive. It's the sovereignty of God. Well, I said the words, the magic formula. As they went under the water, everything's good. No. An invitation is one that must be received. It doesn't compromise God's sovereignty somehow, some way. This cooperation of us is part of the gospel. And so every time we walk through those doors, the word is being proclaimed to you, hopefully, in an invitational manner. In a way that says, will you join in and cooperate with the Holy Spirit so that you might be able to experience the life that God intends for you? He's calling you and he's calling me to maturity. And he's calling us to experience some freedom that we would otherwise not have because we lean toward or are prone to being legalistic with one another. And so that's the invitation once again today. What is the gospel? The gospel is this idea that it's the full story that involves the creation and all that he did that was good in creation because it was his own commentary. It is good. It is good. And then he created man. He said, it is very good. And then it does include that aspect where we see what is our prayer in some of our liturgical circles. We pray this, the Lord's Prayer, every week, right? We pray this and we say, not our will be done, but your will be done. It should be a prayer that we should be praying every moment of the day so that we can separate from the corruption that leads to death. Called into maturity, not my will, but your will be done in our life. And so we, we have this opportunity to, to do that, to receive this gospel once again. It's an invitation to you. You want to be a part of uh, a, this, this, this wonderful community of faith, this invitation that we can experience together. And, and we can do that fresh every, time, every, every week. And so why don't you just bow your heads with me and we'll pray, we'll, we'll recommit. I love in the Lutheran church, we do communion every single week. Now, for some of you, that might feel like a little bit too much legalism. But there is something nice about going to the table every week because there is that invitation every week. And so, while we're not going to go to the table today, I want you to go in your hearts. I want you to go uh, right up here to the altar. And I, as you go to the altar, what you see in front of you is a cross, and that cross is an invitation to, to, to crucify once again the things that lead to corruption and embrace the things that lead to maturity in Christ. And so I'm going to give you a moment to just uh, take that mental walk to the altar, to take that mental walk to the cross and, 
And then never stop at the cross. Always get to the empty tomb because your identity is not somebody who has died. Your identity is a new identity, somebody who is living again. It is our hope, the hope of our faith. Ah, what is the gospel, Father? It's the journey many of us are making right now, once again. Father, we may have started this journey a long time ago when we first recognized our need for a Savior, but we're making it again today. Will you be faithful to your people, to your promises to your people, to recreate us and give us a new identity, not the identity of a sinner and corrupt person, but a child of God. Will you be faithful to that? Will you nourish us on, on your word and, and will you allow us to cooperate with your spirit that we might be able to experience even more life than we would otherwise have without you? Father, thank you for who you are and being uh, our confidence in your word because you always deliver. You always have the last word over corruption. We ask these things in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.